boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it means it's time for another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home games and at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. And if you want to learn more about me and the rest of the Wrecking Crew, these uh, friends and family, it feels like that we've been doing this for a long time. We get new members on the Wrecking Crew every once in a while, but everyone here tonight has been here for a long time. Uh, the real prime movers at Rec Poker, the gang that gets together day in and day out, putting strategy videos out there, recording the podcast, producing our study groups, uh, writing blog articles. We could not do it without the Wrecking Crew. So if you want to go to rec.poker slash crew and learn all about them, you can, or you can just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right now. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5b5 on Twitter or 5 by 5 in the Poker Stars home game. I am John Somsky, Poker Geek in everywhere. <laughs> and I'm Rob Washam and you can find me as Rapman Fifty, just about everywhere. That was a that was a different kind of Somsky. There, it was. was like it was like the not the I'm muted and talking. It was the I'm I don't know I'm doing something he, else. He I'm was doing playing long the division. home game. Yeah, I'm playing right. the home game. Ah, <laughs> big was it a big spot? <laughs> no, not really. I just was. <laughs> No. It's fitting that John uh, was captivated by the home game because if you don't know already, John Somsky is our online home game director. Uh, he runs all the home games that we do here. There's 10 every week and uh, he makes it all happen. And uh, yeah, usually while we're recording this, a bunch of us are playing in the home game and trying to steal each other's chips. It's just one of the fun, free ways that we get to share our love of poker with each other. So John, thank you very much for all you do in the home game club. And if you want to take a few minutes and just focus on your action in the home game, we're not, we're going to let you do that, man. You deserve it, John. You deserve it. Thank you. So if you want to if you want to go to rec.poker slash crew, you can learn about John and Chris and Rob and everybody else that makes the magic happen here. If you want to get uh, more involved in the home games, you can go to rec.poker slash home game. If you want to find out how you can support what we're doing here, you can go to rec.poker slash support. But it all starts by just going to rec.poker and signing up for a free account. All it takes is an email address and a smile. And because so much of what we do here is free, we're a largely volunteer-based organization. Uh, it's really important that I thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino, and Mark Prashan at Website Amp, because uh, we couldn't do it without them. And we also couldn't do it without our premium members. We have just a, a phenomenal group of recreational poker enthusiasts who like to learn along with us, join the study groups, participate in the podcast. Um, there's just a ton of perks, meeting guests, uh, road trip perks, uh, social events. Um, a lot of it is sharing our other sites, training material. If you're ever interested in learning about what goes on at Learn Pro Poker or Solve for Why or Red Chip uh, or PokerCoaching.com, I mean, uh, the the Poker Forge, uh, MTT Poker Academy, these are all premium training sites out there who understand how important it is for recreational players like us to learn more and to grow the game and to come up in the game and become the killers of tomorrow. They share a lot of their premium training uh, material with Rec Poker members. So if you're a Rec Poker premium member, you can go and review all sorts of amazing training material from all those sites and, and a bunch more that I didn't mention right there. Um, so I encourage everyone, please do come become a premium member at Rec.Poker and uh, your $15 a month makes a big difference for us. It helps us out a lot. And you get some perks like 
John Kroll, who gets to come and uh, sit in in our uh, forums edition of the podcast, ask his questions of the panel, and um, participate in the fun here. So, uh, John, I love it when our premium members come and join us in the show here. Uh, You were here last week as well, and you've been a prolific poster in the forums and a presence on the podcast here. But why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you if they see you in the home game or in the forums? Uh, um, thanks for having me. I'm seven high 11 in both the home game and the forums. So look out folks. You got, uh, uh, one of our, one of our, uh, very active premium members. If you see that seven high 11, don't try and steal his chips. He's going to turn the tables on you and take him out of your pocket instead. Careful. But don't say I didn't warn you. So, um, I love when we get to do a post from a, a new member. So this is uh, so every every Monday night we we do the the chats edition of the podcast. We interview a guest, and then often we get together afterwards and take a forum post from the Rec Poker forums and talk about it here on the air. This is from a new member whose name is Black Spruce. So hello, Black Spruce uh, says short time listener to the podcast, but I love it. First time poster. Well, that's awesome. So first of all, uh, thanks for posting, Black Spruce, and thanks for listening to the show. I hope you do enjoy it, and I think we're going to get to some pretty interesting information here. This forum post is called Draw Heavy Board, and it takes place in the first hand of a live tournament. We're starting with 250 big blinds, and our hero is in the big blind with the Ace of Clubs, Six of Hearts. The low jack who they recognize from this casino and a poker room nearby, is a very good reg or semi-pro or pro in his late 20s, who probably kind of recognizes me too, says our correspondent, but not to the extent that I recognize him. And they limp in the low jack. So at 250 big blinds deep, I don't know, I, maybe it's just me. I don't. I, that makes me think that they might not be a pro if they're limping in the low jack off a 250 big blind stack, but maybe they've got some exploit that they have built into their game. And and I know limping is kind of making a comeback. We talked about limping pretty exhaustively last week on the podcast. Um, Generally, what you gain in disguise, you kind of give up in just fold equity and and range advantage. So it's not uh, something that we talk about advocating for a lot in open limp. But we're going to take Black Spruce's word for it, uh, that this player knows what they're doing, and they limp from the low jack. Rob, did you have something to jump in with right there? I'm just going to say, I think a lot of a lot of players look at a very deep stack start of a tournament. Um, you don't want to really commit a lot of chips early in the hand. And so if, if he's a thinking player, he's probably going to look around the table, see a lot of recreational type players thinking that, well, let's just get involved with a in the pot here and maybe I can do something post flop and I won't have to commit a lot of chips to that. So it, it could be a strategy that he's employing and I wouldn't fault him for that. Even if he was a thinking player, because again, um, you don't want to commit a, a large portion of your stack early in the tournament. Um, you don't, you're not putting a lot of pressure on anybody by raising the three big blinds mm. when everybody has 250 big blinds. If they're going to come, they're going to come. So um, it doesn't, you know, and I could, I can see where this would make a lot of sense, especially when you're 250 big blinds deep. And to Rob's point, especially if you feel like you have a skill edge on the table, then it definitely serves you to play a lot of pots in position 
and outplay your opponent's post-flop. And, you know, the more skilled, more experienced players, their skill edge is going to be greater post-flop. Um, so it does make sense for them to play a lot of pots in position. And if they, again, if you, they feel like they've got a skill edge against the table, then um, that would make sense. So uh, they limp from the low jack. The button raises to three big blinds. And if, uh, if you listened last week, we were talking about the sizes that you have to use when you're ISO raising. And we were mostly talking about cash games where you really have to up that size quite a bit if you're going to introduce any fold equity and actually thin the field here. We didn't really get into the tournament dynamic that much, but typically tournament sizing is smaller than cash game sizing because you're leveraging someone's tournament life uh, in a way that when you take their whole stack, the outcome for them is much worse than when you take someone's whole stack in a cash game and they can just reload. So you can leverage that kind of um, pressure on their stack with a smaller sizing. And so generally it's wise to do so. In this case, I think three big blinds is just too small a raise. And there's two reasons for it. The first is you're, you're, you're giving the original raiser a very trivial, or the original limper, a very trivial decision. They've already invested one big blind when the pot only had one and a half big blinds in it. Now you've added three big blinds. So even if it just goes back around to them, now the pot has four and a half big blinds and they only have to call two more to get in there. So you haven't really given them an opportunity to make a mistake yet. Um, So that's one. And then the other is that the remaining players in the hand are not really getting faced with that difficult a decision either, because this is essentially just an open raise size. If they were considering having a continuing range to an open raise, then they're going to continue to this as well. And that kind of, I don't know, this feels like a compromise size where someone wants to raise, but doesn't want to bloat the pot. And so they're just going to raise pretty small instead. And honestly, these compromises they tend to be worse than just picking one or the other. And you're no, usually no. better up. Yeah, go ahead, Rob. I don't think it's a compromise. I think it's just somebody who always raises three big blinds when it's their mm. turn. Yep. And they're yep. not even considering that there's a limper out there. That, you know, And I see that a lot in, in a lot of the games that we play where people have a raise size. Yes. And they don't even consider what's happened in front of them. They just know it's their turn. Oh, I'm going to raise three big blinds. And it's just a... Uh, that's just what they do. Yeah, I think you're right. That is a mindset that uh, that players get into, and they and they've got their their size that they want to play. But I think I think that, I mean that's that's a leak. That's a that's an error because um, having more players in the hand should affect the range and size that you choose and and what you're trying to accomplish with your raise. So you should always just have like you know what am I trying to accomplish with my raise? I'm not sure what this player is trying to accomplish with uh, with their three big blind raise. Um, so I would go bigger or just call, but, uh, they raised a three and, uh, the hero is in the big blind with ace of clubs and six of hearts. So we're getting a pretty good odds here. It's, it's two big blinds to call. We don't get to close the action though, because the original limper is still in the hand and we think that they're a pretty savvy player. So they might be more likely than most to have a limp re-raising range than a lot of our sort of typical limpers who are going to be less experienced players and they're going to limp to call a lot of the time. 
So that would make me think twice about calling here. And then also just the idea of playing a multi-way pot out of position with a six offsuit. Um, I think I'm not the only one who struggles with this, but I think especially in the big blind, we feel like I should be defending my big blind super wide. Like I, I, I can't be one of those players that overfolds their big blind and I've got an ace in my hand and shouldn't I just be calling and trying to maximize the EV of this hand um, to get the most value as you can out of having a hand with an ace in it. Personally, I, I, I just don't think it's that, that, that much of an edge. Um, so I think if you overfold in a spot like this, you're just not folding away that much equity. What, what does the rest of the panel here think when you get into this kind of a position? Is this the kind of hand that you would want to continue with? Or is there, uh, is there a cutoff for that kind of thing? Or like, let me ask, uh, yeah, Chris, would you well, have a, I, I mean, like a yeah, I, I tend, tend to agree. Um, this, this has a lot to do, I think, with our read of this uh, original limper. Um, we have a read on them that they're a semi-pro to a pro. Um, and like I think we mentioned, um, it's not, I, I would say that limping has returned to the to the game and early in tournaments, you may see it, you may, but it has sort of like, I think it's becoming a little bit more trendy when you're shorter stacked. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some instances where you're going to do this at a, at a really, with really deep stack. But I would say that if you're very good and you've developed an actual limping strategy, you are going to have a range of hands that you will, you will, as you mentioned, you will raise with, you will re, you know, you'll raise off of all the people who might be sort of coming along or or raising you and then calling. And Chris, Um, just to be clear, you're talking about limping, getting raised and then re-raising as the limper hands that you'll do that with. Yeah, correct. And so I, 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 that's, if we were closing the action, if the, if this had folded to the button, the button had opened, we had a six offsuit. This is like an absolute slam dunk call. Like we're just going to defend our, our, our equity here. Um, And it could be a little bit tricky to play post flop with ace rag kind of hand, but we're going to do it and we're going to see where we land. But here, I think I'm with, based on this read, um, I'm going to be multi-way best case. I'm going to be multi-way because there's no way this now the I mean, if the, if this player is actually a pro and they folded here, then I don't, <laughs> I don't believe you anymore. Right. So right. like the best case here is we're going multi-way and we're going to be the, the, have the worst position at the table. Um, I just want to fold. This has reverse implied odds. This has, um, uh, we're going to be in a really tough spot uh no matter what happens um and a lot of the time we're going to get raised so i'm i'm just i I think this is this is definitely uh a hand we want to we want to fold yeah rob yeah i like i like what he said i think if if it had folded to the big blind he raises three big blinds it's a slam dunk call i mean you're going to play that hand all day long the fact that this guy that you recognize as a regular, a semi-pro or a pro is involved in the hand already, um, that would make me pause. I think a six suited is probably a call. Mm. 
Um, ACE 5, ACE 4, something that can make a, a wheel straight or ACE 10 or better that could make a Broadway straight, then you might be playing those and any suited ACE. But ACE 6 off is just that right in the middle of the, those hands that, like Chris said, reverse implied odds get yourself in a lot of trouble. So I think in this case, with the read I have on that player that limped, I would probably fold. And I want to hammer home a couple points here that Chris and Rob have talked about. So uh, uh, a dominant, uh, reverse implied odds hand, multi-way pot, out of position, without the betting initiative, with a savvy player in the hand. Like there's just, none of these factors make me want to invest further in this spot. Um, Especially with so much tournament left in front of us, you know, we're not, we're not, unless this is some crazy super turbo um, and we're, you know, 250 big blinds deep, I just feel like we'll get a, we'll get a better chance to uh, invest some of those chips in, in a future spot. So that's not really what we're talking about here, but um, black spruce does uh, uh, many of the responses here from Binkley and Chris and some other folks uh, get into some of the post flop stuff, but there was this comment about maybe this is just a fold pre flop. And so I wanted to make sure that we address that here on the air. Um, so gang is a six offsuit. Is it the worst ACE? Is it, is like, I, I kind of think it is the worst ACE. It, I, I prefer ACE two to ACE five can it, cause it can make the wheel, even though the rank is, is lower. Um, Chris, what do you think about that? Yeah. For me, it's clear, clearly the worst ACE. Yep. Um, so I guess if you had, you know, seven big blinds left, then maybe you'd prefer oh. it to ace two, you know, because you're just shoving pre-flop in. I, I'm not sure that you would yeah. necessarily, honestly. I mean, I'm probably, I've got that little, I'm just shoving pretty much any ace. Yeah. So I, yeah. I kind of don't, I don't care really at that point. But um, at any point, I think I'm, I'm still, I prefer ace two to ace deuce to, to ace six. Yeah, me too. And that's, that's because mostly, you know, your, your, your real wins in poker are going to come from hands where you make better than one pair. So you want to play hands that can make better than one pair and every hand can make two pair. So the fact that it can show up and make a surprising two pair is not actually a good argument for playing any hands. I, I hear it all the time. Yeah. Right. Also an off, an offsuit, two cards offsuit. Has two flush draws. The two flush just draws. Want to, yeah. Want you to know that there's two flush draws if you've got a diamond and a heart. That's good man. point. Good point. That's point. powerful. And also, so, your kick. I mean, your kicker's never going to really play, right? Like the right. six is not going to be like a factor that matters that it's higher than the, the deuce. True. Really, all all you're hoping is that one of them pairs, and it doesn't matter which. Really. Good point. I think I just realized. According to Rob, then I should never play suited cards because or I'm paired cards. <laughs> yes, that is because that if is they're the paired, if you have a paired card, you only have one quad draw. <laughs> Unpaired cards have two quad draws. <laughs> These are the I lessons got... that we're learning. <laughs> yep. You're starting to get it, John. You're starting to get it. We'll make a poker player out of you yet. Oh, man. I love that. All right. Beautiful. So we've established that. We've, we've found one rabbit hole to work our way down. Um, so here it is. As it's played, 
uh, uh, Black Spruce does call and the argument. So Black Spruce says, I reason that my hand is well within the buttons range. So I call even though it's not a speculative hand. And so I think they recognize that this is not the kind of hand that they want to be playing multi-way. Um, but it's the same kind of tension that a lot of people feel where it's like, well, they have so many hands in their range that's worse than this. Shouldn't I kind of just play it? Don't I like owe it to the equity gods to defend uh, my little piece of this hand? Um, and as Chris pointed out, if he was closing the action, if it was a single raise pot, you know, that might change things. Chris? And, and I'll just really quickly, not to belabor this, because I know we want to get post-flop, but there's equity, there's these terms that we use, and there's equity, and there's a term called equity realization. And this is a really important thing when we're thinking about these kind of things. Because if you just threw a six in a calculator and said, look, against both of these opponents, I have probably more equity than both of them. I've got an ace. Uh, they're opening wide. Um, I'm favored in this hand. But because of all the things we listed before, the out of position, all the other stuff, our equity realization, our ability to actually earn that equity by the time the hand ends is going to be the lowest of any of these players. That's the Merv Harvey medal of the podcast point right there, buddy. Um, you can, you can tell, tell if you're talking to Merv, he'll tell you that that medal's in the mail. That medal is in right. the mail. All right. Now you should feel good about that. Um, all right. So yeah. And, and truly a great point. And I, I don't think recreational players understand this enough. You, when you're out of position, when you're playing these kind of non-dynamic hands like this, it's, it's just not going to be easy to realize the equity in your hand. And so you might even have sort of less equity than you think uh, that you're defending. And it, maybe that'll make it easier to let this go sometimes. Uh, but a really, really great point from Chris there. So in this case, uh, the low jack does call behind. So they go to the flop three-handed. The flop comes the queen of clubs jack of clubs nine of clubs uh, again we are holding the ace of clubs and the six of hearts so a pretty good flop for us three clubs there we've got the highest one in the land in our hand um and also i kind of like being able to see the queen and the jack and the nine because if i've got the ace that means that really only the king and the ten are other clubs out there that that are in these typical raises uh raise sizes so unless our opponent has exactly king 10 or 10 8 or maybe 8 7 the odds of them having a flush right now are pretty low and uh that's that's good for us because they can't have a any hearts they can't have any hands that have the ace of clubs the queen of clubs the jack of clubs or the nine of clubs so so that that's that's good for us as well so we check uh, which I'm sure we're doing uh, almost 100% of the time here in this kind of a spot. The There's 10 big blinds in the pot. The low jack bets seven. The button folds. So it comes back to us. And uh, Black Spruce doesn't get into the flop options here. But we have the option of folding, of course. We have the option of calling. And we have the option of raising after we've checked here. On a monotone flop like this, what do you guys like as a default play here when you're holding the ace of the flushed suit? Um, I think folding should be out of the question, personally speaking. And so the question is, 
is this a hand that we're always calling, that we're always raising, or that we're doing according to some mixed strategy? And how important is it that it's the ace of clubs and not, say, the, the 10 of clubs or, or, or some other club like that? Chris, you're unmuted. Why don't you dive in there first? Um, I think that this has a lot to do with stack depth. Mm. Uh, at, at 250 big blinds deep, um, it is we have the the nut flush blocker um but i think we also want to start to ask ourselves the question of what we would do with ace of clubs six of clubs here mm. um because if we're going to raise here uh we have to be able to represent something um and i'm I'm very I, I'm gonna call this pretty much all of the time when we're this deep. Um because my raising range is pretty thin here. Um I may have some flushes in there, but probably not nut flushes. Um I may have some straights. Yeah, they could have a straight. There is a straight on the board. Yeah. Queen Jack so Nine. I, you know, I might, I might, but I doubt I'm. I, I, I just, I just like, I like calling here a lot. So I think like straights and sets play pretty similarly in spots like this. Um, what's nice about sets is that you can improve to a full house, which beats a flush. Um, straights cannot improve. So if there's just only so many places you can go with that hand, um, Chris, do you think there's do you think you you do have a check raising range here? Because I can see it being hands like straights that benefit from the protection of not seeing another card. But then again, if our opponent has the ace or the king of clubs, like are they folding to a check raise? Like that's something that I always wonder about in these spots as well. What do you think about mm-hmm. that? I think it's got to be pretty narrow. I mean, this is a this is a this is a board that we're going to see play out and develop. This is an ex- extremely uh tough board to raise on now i think i mean we have the nut blocker it's a good candidate to to potentially raise this um but i i if i'm gonna raise this hand um i'm probably probably waiting for a turn to Mm -hmm. do so on Mm-hmm. is my thinking i'd be curious what others are thinking and this is because we're so deep if we were shallower this would be a much more prominent raise for me now that might seem counterintuitive to some of our listeners because they're think they might be thinking well chris it's 250 big blinds deep if i don't raise now how am i ever going to win their whole stack when i make the flush uh what's your response um my response is yeah but um, we also don't want to get blown off this hand yet. Um, and I think we cannot call if we get raised back, even with the ace of clubs in our hand, hmm. um, because we're so deep. Yeah. I, I just don't think we can go to the mat with the naked ace of clubs uh, on a board that is this wet and dynamic um and it is a very different experience facing 
the really big raise here with the ace of clubs as opposed to being the one who's making the big raise with the ace of clubs you definitely want to be the one making the raise in that in that case Mm -hmm. uh rob i just we haven't talked really about how what we think he's betting with Mm -hmm. you know what what kind of hands is he betting with now obviously i shouldn't say obviously but um does he have a set of queens set of jacks set of nines i'm not thinking a set of queens necessarily um because he's what's he going to get called by um so he might have a set of jacks he might have a set of nines he might already have a straight with a king 10 with the king of clubs you know those types of hands uh could probably bet here and feel pretty comfortable but we haven't really talked about that so the question is typically if you have a nut plus draw like we have the ace of clubs and you're raising a somebody that bet into you uh, it's check raise like this you're usually looking either to build a pot mm-hmm. so when you hit your flush you got it or to get them a fold a better hand so i don't think he's folding any of the hands that he's he's going to be initially betting into us especially he's betting 70 percent of the pot right so I think I think I would definitely just call on this spot. Yep. Makes sense. And um <clears throat> if we think about the hands that this player uh might have and be betting here, they did limp pre-flop. So and then call the raise. So I think we can eliminate at least a good portion of the pocket queens and pocket jacks they could have. They might have gotten tricky with jacks. They could definitely do it with nines. King 10 for sure, uh 10 8 for sure. Um and they could even do it with a hand like 10-9 or 10-jack uh, or queen-10 that has a pair plus draw uh, with or without a club, honestly. And then I'd also, in this position, I'd be betting my lower flushes, which we're going to see a lot of from players that open limp. They're going to have those two smaller connected uh, cards that make a low flush here and don't want to see a four flush come. And uh, I think the sets, like, like we say, are, are probably taking a line like this as well. So the good news is against all of those hands, all it takes is one club coming and we now have the winning hand. So there is a lot to be said for um, uh, playing, just playing, playing sound poker. I like what you guys have said about just calling here because that's what we're going to be doing with, with the bulk of our range. So uh, the button folds and we do call. Turn is the eight of clubs. So eight of clubs, nine of clubs, jack of clubs, queen of clubs. Uh, we've got the ace. We've got the ace high flush. We're feeling pretty good. Um, does anyone ever lead here? I feel like we should prop. I- I'm probably checking. Well, I don't know. What What do you guys think? Does anyone ever lead here? My, my thinking was if they are bluffing, let them continue to bluff. Um, but maybe the fourth club coming means that they just don't bluff anymore. What do you think, Rob? Well, the interesting thing is on the flop, this was actually a dunk bet. Oh, yeah. They uh, this, led into this person the... limped and then yeah. called a raise. Good point. So they were not the pre-flop aggressor, and they yep. bet into the pot. So they not only limped pre-flop, then they donked yep. on the flop. So what? Where are we? Where are we at with this? This is this is so outside of the normal flow of a hand, right? Great point. This is way outside the normal flow of a hand. So you have to really start to wonder what he's doing this with. You have to be really be careful 
I think I would probably bet out here because I don't want him to check back. So right. I might I might donk into him after he was the aggressor on the flop. I may just do that, but I would not be opposed to a, a check call here either. Yep. Yeah, that was my thinking about leading here as well was um, they're going to check back a lot because when the four flush comes, you're kind of in this weird binary game where he knows he doesn't have the ace of clubs. <laughs> so yeah, he doesn't know that you have it, but he knows that he doesn't have it. Um, and you know that you have it. Um, and it it really does kind of change the the range that players continue with. I think they bluff a lot less because it's just too easy for you to have one club in your hand. Um, as, and when we go check call on the flop, a very natural, a, a very natural holding is to have one high club. Um, now the way that this board's run out, it can only be the ace or the king. Um, but we're going to be defending the big blind with a ton of hands that have one ace or one king in them. And why can't that be the ace or king of clubs? So, um, so yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm always torn in spots like this. So we do check as the hero. Black spruce, black spruce checks. The low jack bets 25 big blinds into a pot of 24. So another big bet. This time an actual over bet, although only slightly over, but um, it is over. Uh, so we have an option again. We're obviously never folding. Uh, what so the subject for this post is draw heavy boards. We've kind of examined different ways to play the flop. Now the turns come in. What do you guys like facing this over bet? Um, it's still just a about a a ninth of their stack at this point. So the stacks are still very very deep behind. But this is kind of a polarizing size. Who wants to call here and who wants to raise here after checking? John or uh, Chris, um, I want to call again, and I, I'll tell you why. Um, I am not sure what we're accomplishing. It sounds silly, right? We've got we've got the the uh, ace of clubs on a four club board, um, but you think about what clubs are out there, right? There's a queen of clubs, a jack of clubs, a nine of clubs, and an eight of clubs. So if we're raising, we're targeting, I think, exclusively the king of clubs, really. I like, agree. I mean, maybe maybe a set, maybe a set. But honestly, I, there aren't that many sets out there, right? Because this player limp called. Mm-hmm. So they, I don't think they have queens. I don't think they have jacks. Um, maybe they have pocket nines, maybe. But uh, so maybe we target a set, but I don't think there are that many out there. So now we're targeting the king of clubs. Is the king of clubs going to call a raise here? Right. And if the if it's not, then what are we raising for? What I mean, we're raising into a range that uh, if they're bluffing, they're going to fold. We want to continue to have them continue that story on the river. Um, and if they've got the ten of clubs for the straight flush, we're raising into the nuts. So I don't like, I don't, I'm, I'm calling this. I don't know what others think, but. Yeah. Great. hundred percent. I'm calling all the way here. I don't, there's no reason. Again, when you're trying to get value 
um, by raising, you're trying to get value. You're obviously are not trying to get somebody off of a hand when you have the nut flush on an unpaired board, right? There's, there's like Chris said, there's only one hand, one card in the whole deck that can beat you. So by raising, all you're doing is letting him play perfect because he's going to fold everything that he's losing and he's only going to call or raise with the 10 of clubs. Yep. And we, we talk about um, value targeting here on the show quite a bit, value targeting and bluff targeting. And it's really important, as Chris says, not to just think about the absolute strength of your hand, but to think about the range of hands that your opponents can have and that they will continue with to the action that you're considering. So um, I won't restate. Chris already said it so perfectly already. I do think we are our, our value target is a very small set of hands. Um, and the hands that, that they might choose to bet with later, if we don't raise here, I think that's going to happen more often than we're going to correctly uh, get called by exactly the king of clubs or a set of nines. And I, I honestly, I think that's it. Like, I guess you could get called by king 10 with no club, but sitting there with a straight, with four clubs on the board, you've overbet the pot and now you're getting raised. Like if you're going to read the action, we don't have any bluffs. What are we bluffing with now is the other part of it, right? Like we don't have, we can't have a balanced range here, which is another part of the problem of this binary situation of the four flush boards. Where does the balance come from? How do you block having just the ace of clubs other than having the actual ace of clubs? So. Um, I think that's really, really good insight from Chris and Rob there. And this is coming from a guy who has never met a check race. He didn't love, by the way, like I, I, I'm not, I'm kind of getting, I'm kind of getting like this weird rash talking about not check raising with nut flush draws on multiple streets. Like just doesn't feel right to me, but um, I think you guys have really put, put the nail on the head for uh, why it makes a lot of sense. So let's just go through here with uh, the action that black spruce lays out. So they bet 25, and I think the, the, our, our hero, our correspondent, makes that natural thought of, I've got the nut flush here, and uh, they check raise to 75 big blinds, about th- three times the raise, and then the other player shoves over the top. Now, if Black uh, Spruce had been able to take 20 minutes or half an hour like we have all done and talk through the the kinds of hands that our opponent could have here i think they would find a fold just because well what do you guys think what what's the worst like what hands is our opponent what hands are our opponent sh- what what is this now this is uh, a three bet this is a, a turn three bet shove so they bet the pot and then when getting raised, they shoved it in all over the top there. So I think they're it's obviously a massive doing shove too. It's a huge shove. Yeah, exactly. That's like another three times on top of that. So um, they're obviously doing it with the with the strongest possible hand, which in this case would be the king, uh, or sorry, the ten of clubs, or I guess technically the king and ten of clubs would be the strongest possible hand here. But the ten of clubs is pretty strong. Um, 
I can't, I just can't imagine any other hand that, because yeah. even the king of clubs, the ace is out there. Our actions kind of telling them that we've got an ace is in that set of hands that we're going to take this action with. So yeah, Chris. Yeah. Honestly, I would, if I was, if I was doing this with anything besides the 10 of clubs and I didn't have the ace, you know, the ace of clubs is just sort of unavailable. Like I would much, much, much rather uh, be shoving here with like pocket nines than I would mm. with, the king, with the king of clubs, even though the king of clubs is a better hand. Uh, I've got redraws. Um, assuming, assuming you don't have a straight flush, I've got redraws that uh, can at least you know beat some of the holdings here. But I, this is one of these where we just get so far deep in the game tree that there's just there just aren't that many bluffs, mm-hmm. and we've got a really strong holding. But I think because we raised. Once we raise and get raised back all in for 250 big blinds, sometimes you have to fold the second nuts. Yeah. And that's what we're looking at right now. We, we've literally got the second nuts. Um, but, but the action is telling us, and, and let's be clear here. This, we're looking at this action throughout all the streets here. And this is what's informing our decision. It's not like, on other boards and other spots, people can't be spewing off with, you know, huge raises. Oh. When, when, when you've got the second nuts, usually the correct response is not to fold when you have the second nuts, just so we're all being clear here. Um, but when you can see all these other club cards out there and the, the way that the action has gone, it does feel like that 10 of clubs is making up a surprisingly large portion of the range that they take this action with. Uh, Chris, did you have something else there? No, I just, I mean, I just, I think about, I mean, if this is this, you know, we, we, we originally labeled this player as a really tough, regular pro semi-pro. So we do, if we consider, continue to think that we do have to sort of consider the fact that a player like that should have bluffs, right? They should have bluffs in most spots that they won't just be doing this with the nuts and that makes it a compelling case in that case to sort of say, well, we got to call it the second nuts then. But like, this is such a weird hand and such a weird spot where what, what even are the, I mean, the, I guess the bluffs are like a set of nines, right? Yeah. Like, cause it can't be the king of clubs. The king of clubs just has to call. If this player is good, they just, they can't be doing this with that hand. Can, can they? I think it's a mistake if they do. Because what are you, what are you calling with? They're turning it into a bluff, basically at that right, point, right? Right, right. Well, that doesn't make so, sense. So there just aren't the, they, even for good players, they're just going to be struggle to find bluffs on boards like this. Yep. I think that's the crucial spot because you know when when and sometimes when we say, "Oh, this is a good player," what that means is that they'll bluff more, or they'll they'll have you know the cojones to 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 bluff in spots that other players won't, or they'll know the like little secret bluff combos that make it profitable but it also means that they know when they're supposed to have a lot of bluffs and when they're not supposed to have a lot of bluffs and on boards like this on runouts like this with the action i just don't see a lot of bluffs i just it's just hard to put bluffs in their range and nothing about your line has indicated a weak holding that they should try and bluff off either so um. Yeah, that's what it comes down to for me. 
it's it's a lot of different factors, but I think I find the fold here and then just don't ever show them. <laughs> you just don't ever turn your cards over and show them that you folded the uh, uh, the second nuts because it's a pretty it's a pretty sophisticated play. And um, so Black Spruce uh, says that they they did call uh, and and they do say even so. Here's a couple points here from Black Spruce. Uh, I knew the villain was a good player. I should have stopped and thought before I called his shove. Although I'm sure I still would have called, I wouldn't have been so gobsmacked when I lost. The truth is, I was so focused on having made an ace-high flush, I thought I had the nuts, even after we showed our hands. And I think that's that happens a lot, man. Especially because you get to the flop, and all you're thinking about is, will a club come? Right? Like, you're not even thinking about the ranks of the hands. Um and so we kind of get this tunnel vision where we're like, oh, the thing that we wanted to happen happened. And we're not even looking at the other the other parts of the hand, the other cards that are down. The fact that the nuts have changed. Um, that does that 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 is something that it just takes a lot of playing poker to uh to to kind of have that happen more more automatically. John Kroll, did you have something? A lot of people have that feeling, well, I've just got a call to see if he has it. And if I don't call, I'll never know. Yes. But it takes a really disciplined poker player not to turn over the straight flush, uh, even if you've folded. <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point, John. And, you know, um, Eric uh, Jin, who goes by Binkley, who has posted some responses here in the forum post, he, said, he talks about this all the time, about how, you know, humans we like to close loops we don't like to have open loops we don't like to not know what what happened or to to be unsure of what the results would have been and so especially inexperienced players we call more than we should because we want to be like sure we're seeking certainty in the game of poker but the more you play the more you have to make folds where you're you're just you're behind more often than you're ahead and you just don't get to find out if it was a good fold or not. Um, and you have to be comfortable with that or else you're going to be someone who, you know, your, your ceiling's only going to be so high as a poker player because players are going to exploit you and, and your need to know that's something that, that can come back to bite you in the butt. Yeah. You get to find out every bad call you made, but you don't get to find out every good fold you made. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, think about that. And yeah, I think especially especially in spots like this, I feel bad for um, Black Spruce because in real time, I mean, I'm I'm I uh, I don't know. I'm probably putting a raise. I'm probably play, uh, at least according to how the panel described it. I'm definitely playing this hand wrong at, on at least one street and probably tanking and feeling really uncomfortable. Um, so Black Spruce, don't feel like this was a uh, uh, like a uh, you know. Uh, a newbie move or anything like that. Uh, it sounds like uh, our correspondent's only been playing for about a year um, and is still getting to know some parts of the game. But even just the way that they've written this post, the information they've included, uh, the way they're talking about it makes me feel like we're going to see some more success from uh, Black Spruce before uh, their rec poker journey is over. Hey, Rob? Well, the way I've been running lately, I think I would probably just fold to the 25 big blind bet on the turn. 
you would, would just that, say he's got I the would 10 see that bet and go damn he's got the 10 <laughs> and i just fold right then and there yeah i mean and th- this is a brutal spot i mean um and it's um i still i still remember the the there was a, a hand like this that i played uh kind of earlier in my poker career i had um aces um and the and i got three bet or no no i three bet then got called and the flop came ace 10 10 i'm like oh man and it was early, it was like this kind of setup right like first hand of the tournament it all gets in the middle and it's like you know i'm just i'm visualizing all the chips coming my way and of course it's quad tens against me and like it didn't even make i'd never even considered that i could be losing right like it was just yes. like I'm like, this is, yes, you know? And so these are the kind of moments that you do want to like take a step back and like you do want to like always look at the board and always say like, do I have the very best possible hand? No? Okay. Is it possible that I'm up against? Not not that we, I wouldn't, you know, I would never fold aces full of tens against quad tens or whatever in that spot but I should at least be aware that I could be losing. Right. And that's a good thing to have in our repertoire as we kind of get going. Yep. That's right. It's a good, and you know, somehow sometimes, especially when we're learning the game, you know, we mostly learn from making our own mistakes. You know, we learn from the pain that we feel when we make a mistake and, and are punished for it. But let me tell you folks, that's how I learned how to play poker from my own mistakes and I just wish I had taken the plunge and joined a group like Rec Poker earlier and had joined more conversations like this, gotten more involved with other people like this, because then you can learn from other people's mistakes. You can, <laughs> you could actually learn from the pain that other people have felt and not have to feel it yourself. So, I mean, that's uh, that's one of the perks of finding a group and posting in the forums like like our uh, our man Black Spruce here is doing. So. Uh, kudos to you, Black Spruce. Thank you for posting in the forums and uh, for putting yourself out there. I also I also love it when folks post hands that they lost because it shows that they're really trying to improve. They're not posting a hand just to say, "Look how good at poker I am." Um, you know that takes that takes some guts and some intestinal fortitude. So uh, good for you. And um, yeah, I am curious to see what what comes from this player because I like this other great comment in here when they're talking about their pre-flop call, they say, I knew in the moment that it was an unorthodox call, which it was, uh, but it was the first hand of the tournament. Blinds were 100, 100, and I had 25,000 chips. How much trouble could I get in? (laughs) And and as he says next, now I know how much trouble I can get in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so it's a cruel game that we all love, especially multi-table tournaments when it comes to MTT poker. There's going to be uh, a lot of bad beats in your future. But um, thanks for writing in and for putting yourself out there and uh, keep sharing your love of this game. And I'm going to keep sharing my love for the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and Mark Prashan at Website Amp and John and Chris and John and Rob and you, the listeners, for tuning in and making this all happen. Thank you so much. 